Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Hello, this is Dominic Kearns with the Risings One podcast, and I am joined this week by Aaron and Kyle. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. You know, we, I mean, we. Uh, I'm sure everyone's heard by now that Phoenix Rising is first placed in the Western Conference, and uh, you know, we've we've talked about this for a long time. So to see it actually take place, and for us to also clinch playoffs on the same night, um, just great, great time to. Uh, to be a part of the Phoenix Rising. Yeah, I'm a little bit more mixed than you guys are probably because my Sun Devils uh, uh, really let us down uh, last night. But uh, look, you know, I, I had both TVs out, Phoenix Rising on one, Arizona State on the other. So I, I at least got a half and half uh, enjoyment last night. <laughs> I was kind of following that ASU game too, so it, it wasn't the ideal result there, but... Um, what can you do? What can you do? Uh, the important thing is that we got a big win and uh, top of the Western Conference with five matches left. So we should probably get right into this one. We travel to Seattle. We're playing Sounders 2, 7 p.m. on a Saturday night. Uh, and, you know, conditions were quintessentially Seattle. Cold, windy, rainy, everything you would picture uh, when you think of Washington and Seattle, uh, all you needed is a few people in flannel drinking uh, coffees out in the middle of the pitch, and it would have been perfect. But uh, that's that's kind of the setting we had, um, and pretty pretty typical lineup for us: Cortez up top, um, Blackman and Farrell as the center backs, uh, Dia and Abdul Salam, um, Devin Vega getting a, another start. That was pretty neat to see, and then Billy Forbes out wide on the left. Everyone else are the names you'd expect. Asante, Lambert, Musa, and Carl. Um, what were you guys' thoughts on the lineup and how we started? Uh, I, I like the lineup. I think it was, you know, it was a stronger lineup, I think. But, I mean, we, we haven't been having a, the midweek games as of late. So to be able to put out a strong lineup, I mean, we know that Phoenix had a great opportunity in front of them before the match started to take first place. So I think that Rick Schantz knew that and he wanted to uh, to go out and get this win. And I mean, I think we started great, you know, early on. I think we had uh, we put a lot of pressure on uh, Seattle Sounders, too. And I mean, er, you know, we were able to follow that up with an opportunity for Chris Cortez and he was able to, uh, you know, put it in the back of the net. Yeah, I'm 
in terms of the lineup, nothing hugely surprising. We had had everything, you know, uh, pretty much pretty close uh, to right on, as far as uh, Firebird Soccer's prediction on that. Uh, was a little bit surprised to see Vega in uh, ahead of uh, ahead of Awako, but the two are pretty interchangeable. I really do like to see Awako on the field at the same time Chris Cortez is. Um, I think Chris Cortez lacks uh, uh, what he has in size. He lacks in speed, and I think Vega uh, really complements that very well. I really like to see Vega when he overlaps uh, on Cortez, especially on defensive plays, and, and really puts pressure on the center backs when they're in possession. So I uh, always like to see Vega out there. Interesting to see Forbes out there as well. Had a couple, had a little con uh, some conversations with that with some other fans. Uh, but all in all, a good lineup. Always good to have Chris Cortez uh, in there to be able to make his presence felt. Um, he's, he's got a good size to him, uh, and that's why he le he's leading our team with goals right now, I believe. Yeah, Yeah, leading our team. Already set the club record. He's at 16 on the se 16 goals on the season is amazing. Uh, you never see something like that um, in our club history. And he just always is in the right place at the right time, um, creating opportunities out of not always the best opportunities. Um, and it was a well-worked first goal last night. Uh, great job by Abdul Salam getting forward and joining this attack and really being active in the attack, him and Asante linking up. And then having the presence to slide it to Cortez because a lot of guys in that situation, um, especially a lot of defenders, might think, hey, this is my shot at glory, blast it over the bar or something like that. He has the presence of mind to slide it over to Cortez, and Cortez makes no mistake. And uh, it's that big early away goal that we've been talking about. It's so important to get those early away goals because those have set the tone for us all season. Yeah, they really have. I mean, it's been, you know, the, the numbers show it. When we score early on the road, we, uh, we typically get something out of the match. So um, just great to see that. I mean, for me, the, the entire play there, Vega able to, you know, make some moves and get the ball, create some space, and then feeds it out to Abdul Salam. And he makes a great run into the box. And like you said, Dominic, I mean, just the awareness to, to not, you know, take a shot there and possibly knuckleball it and send it, you know, over and into the stands. Instead, he, uh, he just takes a great little pass off to Chris Cortez. And, I mean, the man is hot right now. We know if we keep giving the ball, he's going to score. And uh, he did just that. And, I mean, for me to to be able to see us get that started early on, I think that it, it set the tone for the team. And, uh, you know, it really gave us that, you know, breathing room that I think in in not the uh, best weather conditions on a pitch that a lot of players were slip, slipping on, that was, uh, that was huge for Phoenix. I think one of the things that, that's relatively – that most fans are relatively unaware of regarding Chris Cortez is the equality in which he scores using using his both uh, right and left foot. The goal that goal that we're talking about here uh, off of the assist from Abdul Salam was a left-footed goal. He's got a big lumbering le uh, leg. Soccer is one of those sports, right, where uh, in baseball you throw with your right, you bat right. In football, you got a quarterback, he throws with his right. He's ne people never use their offhand in, in, in any other sport, really. Uh, hockey, y you can use your offhand in hockey a little bit. Uh, but in soccer, having a good command of both 
the strong and weak legs is, in, is really incredible. And I'm, I'm looking it up right now, but I believe that Cortez's goals are really close to equal between his right, left, uh, right and left feet as well as his head as well. So uh, to be able to use, uh, essentially be a triple threat in terms of scoring, I think that that's a huge uh, benefit to Phoenix Rising. Yeah, I mean, he, he can score in all types of ways. You see, I mean, another left-footed goal that comes to mind is the one he scored against Orange County that won that match for us 1-0. Very difficult shot that he was able to put in with his left foot. And, you know, he scored cheeky goals, he scored bangers, he scored tap-ins, headers. He's done it all. So uh, what an asset to have. And that took us into control for the rest of that first half. Not too many chances to speak of for Seattle. No, no, it, it, it did kind of, the match seemed to slow down almost after that goal, which, I mean, you would like to see Phoenix push um, and try to get that second. But, I mean, it, I think, the like I said, the weather played into it, and it, the, that half just, you know, just kind of seemed to taper off and uh, was just slow till halftime. But uh, not a lot of opportunities for Seattle, I don't believe, Carl Wazinski had any saves that he had to make in that first half. If he did, it was just the one. Um, but a very, very uh, solid half defensively, I think, for Phoenix, limiting Seattle's opportunities. For sure. So we, we get into the second half. Um, Aaron, do you want to take us through the second half a little bit? Yeah, the second half, one of the things that really struck me um, as we uh, after they came out in that second half is I don't, I don't know that the television or if you were watching on ESPN Plus or, or some other method, it was really, really raining. I mean, this, this wasn't just a little bit of sprinkle and some slick, some slick grass. It really seemed wet and miserable. Um, and while it... it uh, it doesn't exactly remind me of what I went through when I uh, went to Georgia to watch Arizona State University play Georgia in football, and we had some torrential downpour. Uh, that can't be any fun to play in. And I think that it really affected the gameplay for the rest of the game. Uh, I, the announcers did talk a lot about uh, probably change in, changes in footwear that were going to hap happen at the half. Folks were sliding all over the place at the in the... Uh, toward the end of the first half, and the second was kind of the same. It really didn't feel like there was um, uh, a real good connection between the foot and the ground. But I will say, throughout throughout the first half and as we headed in the second half, it felt like they were really making good connections to each other. Uh, they had good, solid, crisp passing that was meeting, uh, that had proper timing, good timing. Uh, they were able to switch fields with multiple passes. They weren't doing a lot of long, uh, long crosses across the field. At least that's how I feel. I don't know how you guys feel. It's, it feels like the connections were being made that were really leading up to set up, to set up that second uh, eventual, what we were hoping for a second goal that never came. Um, that's a little bit my feeling as, as we headed into the second. What about you guys? Uh, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the cleanest match. You would like to see better passing. You would like to see us have more possession. Um, at the end of the day, though, you have to deal with the elements, and we relied on our shape to deal with the elements and limit their opportunities. 
Um, you know, was it the cleanest, prettiest match to watch? No. But these are the kinds of matches sometimes you just have to grind it out. Sometimes you just have to do that um, and find a way. And, uh, yeah, you'd, you'd like to see us do a little more uh, with the ball, but I, I don't have too big of a problem with it considering the conditions, considering you're playing with the lead. The one thing, so if we go, go to about the, the 48th minute, uh, Billy Forbes had a great breakout coming off the left side. Um, I, th I believe it was Cortez that fed it up, and uh, Forbes was able to use his speed to get behind essentially three Sounders, uh, three Sounders defensemen uh, for an open shot at goal. I, you know, I, I love Billy. I, I think he's a great player, a great ambassador, but I think it really feels like his pace and his, uh, his pace continually gets in his own way. He came on that ball with a lot of speed, gave him very few, gave himself very few options on how to play that ball through, and really put a weak ball uh, on the ground, pretty much straight at the goalkeeper. Uh, it's sort of the continuation of a little bit of a disappointing season and a disappointing impact from Billy Forbes. How, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I I see what you're saying about where his speed maybe wasn't his best friend in that situation because it it did help him create that opportunity, but then his heavy first touch seemed to just cause the ball to get away from him. And uh, yeah, like you said, I mean the the shot that he put into Cal Brown was just I mean it was more of a pass and it was directly at him. He was just keeper was able to scoop it up and collect the ball. Um, what was a bummer for me was Devin Vega, it looked like, was attempting to make a run. But from what it looked like to me, Billy Forbes really didn't get a good view of where Vega was. And Vega was able to be right in that spot in the 18-yard box to receive the ball and to take the shot. So it was one of those situations that, you know, it just didn't work out in our favor. And uh, maybe Forbes' touch let him down but you know it, it's still a great opportunity and i think seeing that early on in the second half was a uh, was good to see out of phoenix yeah it yeah it's, it's like the glass half full or half empty i mean half full he's creating that space he's getting in for a one-on-one -on -one. he isn't taking a bad touch to stop that opportunity from materializing but you know half empty he, he would hope for a better shot in that situation um so and i think that's something we can talk about that more later. Uh, so our next scoring chance happens in the 62nd uh, uh, minute. Uh, Jalen Markey from the Sounders uh, uh, fouls and uh, fouls Chris Cortez. We get a uh, free kick, uh, which is sent in by, um, was that a Waco that took that? No. Uh, uh, Asante, I believe, sent, sent the ball in. Ball goes off of Kevon Lambert's head, comes off of the keeper keeper's hands, and Cortez is there, uh, but still bounces through the box and out the other side uh, with no goal there. Very interesting, very close, very um, that that gave me a little bit of high blood pressure, some heart palpitations there um, in that particular goal. Or that I'm sorry, that particular scoring opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it was a very close opportunity, and on the night that Cortez has already scored, um, 
you expect that to go in. I think, you know, nine times out of ten that does go in, but that was just that that one out of ten that just didn't fall for us. So, uh, But great to keep seeing opportunities out of Phoenix. I feel like we, we saw the need to get a second goal out of this match, and there was definitely a push for it. There was a push for it. Um, I, I like how we were strong on set pieces, um, creating those chances on set pieces. You know, last night we didn't need a set piece goal, but there will be times throughout the season and in the playoffs where those set piece opportunities will be crucial. So good to see there. Yeah. So speaking of set piece, uh, set piece opportunities again. Uh, in between, uh, in the 67th minute, we have Schaffer that comes in to replace Billy Forbes. Uh, Devin Vega goes out previously in favor of uh, Gladson Awako. So at the 67th minute, we've used two of our uh, substitutions for the match. Uh, in, the, in the 69th, uh, Shandon Hopau fouls Chris Cortez, uh, sets up another opportunity from, I don't know, 50 yards out. Uh, a very similar position to the, to the free kick that was given uh, just in that 62nd minute that we were just speaking about. Um, and that ball, that ball uh, comes out. Floats up, bounces around, another good opportunity, but a missed opportunity uh, as well. Uh, let's see. From then on, I don't re recall a really major score, another major scoring opportunity on our on our side. Uh, in the 80, uh, 83rd minute, they had a uh, real, real great scoring opportunity. Off of a Gladson Awako foul. Oh no, uh, I'm sorry, that wasn't an Awako foul. A Kev Kevon Lambert foul that gave them a really great angle uh, on the left side of the box. Probably the only major challenge that I recall that Carl Wazinski had. Uh, what was your guys' thought on that foul and how uh, how it came off and, and Waz's performance? I mean, on a night where he hadn't really been called into a into action to see Waz be able to step up and make that save, because that ball was going in, it was dipping under the crossbar and going into the back of the net had he not intervened. So to see him get that touch, um, when I I mean, we know he didn't have a great view behind that wall, but you know, just with that huge frame, he was able to get over and punch it out of harm's way. So um, I mean, just that's just. He's so huge for us in the moments where we need him. And, uh, I mean, clean sheet Carl steps up once again. Yeah, got to gotta protect those clean sheets, got to make those big saves. You always expect him to make plays like that. Um, as long as he has a good sight of the ball and as long as he has time to react to it, I always feel like he's going to make those kinds of plays. And it was a good effort, but, I mean, I think... Carl, unless unless the shooter's putting it in the very top corner or something, he'll be there. He'll make that play. And our final scoring chance of the night uh, comes again, courtesy of Chris Cortez, who who really was was very very active. Uh, Solomon Sante comes up the right hand side, um, somehow somehow gets the ball from I don't know uh, another probably from about thirty yards out. Crosses it to the back post. Chris Cortez is there, has a sliding, uh, a sliding sh uh, shot opportunity, which clangs off of the post, 
And can you imagine if, if everything would have fallen Phoenix's way, we could be talking about a, Chris, a, a second Chris Cortez hat trick on the year, uh, but it just wasn't his night. At the very least, he was active, but that clanger was, uh, uh, was again, a heart-wrencher there. Yeah, yeah, and, I mean, you feel for Cortez because um, you know he has his eye on that golden boot as well because he's so close, and if he could have, you know, gotten that hat trick last night, he'd, he'd be one away right now. So um, just a bummer to see that happen, but I think that it's great to keep seeing the effort from him, even late in matches, you know. Hopefully we can keep pulling out those goals in the future. And, um, I mean, for me, the effort for Masante, he gets turned around and slips and is still able to lose his defender and cross that ball cross field to Cortez and find him. So, um, I mean, just great bit of play from Phoenix. Great to see them pushing at the end because there was, you know, previously on that free kick, Seattle was pushing in that in stoppage time to try and get an equalizer. So to, to see us still trying to uh, get one for get a second goal for ourselves, that was great to see. Yeah, nice to see Solomon um, giving a max effort as always, uh, getting back up whenever he's down. And uh, it's a shame that we couldn't get that second goal for Cortez because he definitely uh, worked hard for it. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, that's still enough. One nil is still enough to put us to top of the Western Conference. Nice to be. A- How does nice. that feel? Like first time this whole season that we've been alone first in the conference. Well, and and let's not count our chickens too much because uh, by the time our listeners are listening to this, Orange County will have played uh, played a match. So, uh, you know, whether it's for uh, 24 hours or for um, uh, 96 hours, it, it is nice to be sitting at the top of, uh, for the first time in the season. Yeah, it is. But and the biggest thing for me though is that even if if Orange County does win, they'll still have that match in hand on us. So we'll still potentially have one or three points that we could pick up. So, I mean, we, we have the match in hand. On yeah, that. exactly. We control our destiny is what I'm trying to say is that is that Phoenix right now has the opportunity to finish first in the West and it's dependent on them. As long as we can win out and uh, get the results that we need, we don't need to rely on someone else slipping up and that's a great feeling you know to know that it's you know all we got to do is keep putting in the work and keep putting forth the effort that we have been all season and uh these boys can be rewarded yeah Yeah, um it for those who don't know i'm typically a tax accountant and we actually have a tax deadline on monday so i was i was in the office working yesterday and doing some of the math and uh, uh, sending mass messages back and forth uh, w- with some folks talking about what our numbers looked like. Uh, the team put out that with a Phoenix Rising win and a St. Louis loss, we would clinch uh, our playoff berth. You know, uh, look, we know it was kind of a foregone conclusion we were going to make the playoffs, but still, it's always nice to be able to celebrate it when it actually happens. So. St. Louis unfortunately pulls out a victory against Swope Park Rangers yesterday, and we're thinking, oh, okay, well now we're not going to be able to clinch. I was sitting and looking at the numbers and, and having a couple miscellaneous conversations. I said, you know what? If San Antonio loses, I'm pretty sure that we clinch. Um, so we have 
even though the way that the, the math works in terms of maximum points, we, we haven't hit a max point total, Swope Park, San Antonio, and St. Louis all have games, interrelated games with each other. Because of that, none of them can actually hit max points. It eliminates one of them. We don't know which one yet, but one of them will not be able to hit that max point. And uh, not only are we sitting in first, but we're sitting here talking about we have clinched a spot in the playoffs for the second year in a row. So that's a great thing to, 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 have to, to be able to celebrate as well. Yeah, yeah. In the Pacific Northwest also. Last year it was Portland, this year Seattle. But, uh, you know, maybe we need to keep planning the late season road games up there for, uh, for Phoenix. But, I mean, it, it just great, great to have it happen so early on. But you also, uh, I mean, they need to stay focused on the ultimate goal. There's still a lot of soccer left to be played. Yeah, definitely a lot. And, uh, of course, it's nice to be in the playoffs, but we want a lot more than just to be in the playoffs. So uh, these last five weeks are going to be very important for that. So just a couple uh, key stats uh, from the match last night uh, as we sort of bring this out to a close. Uh, Dom, Dom was exactly right. He said, we could have had more possession. We only had 37.5% possession of that match. Um, we really let Seattle dictate a lot of the tempo, and I think that's, that's typical when you're playing back and you're playing with a lead. Um, they had nine corners. Uh, Kyle mentioned in, in our uh, talk before we went on air here, we had one corner, and that, that was about it. So very very poor statistics in those areas we didn't force any corners uh and our possession we really didn't press for that second goal i think it, it really seemed like we were just sitting back and waiting to to play on the counter there uh that that's what i'm getting from my perspective you guys agree yeah yeah i do agree i think i mean even if you if you look at the shots um we had 15 shots, but only five were on target. And even those, some of those five, like we talked about that Billy Forbes shot, they weren't they weren't the best opportunities. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, maybe statistically and visually not the prettiest match, but you know that's soccer is not always, you know, going to be a beautiful match being played out there. Sometimes you know it's got to got to be a little grimy and you know got to grind out results and that's what phoenix did so and i mean to do it in the elements that you know this team's not really used to playing on uh, slick surfaces in cold conditions so i think that it was good to see us be able to do that definitely um again yeah but 37 and a half to sounders too is not a great number to look at but i i, I look at the one zero as the number that I'm most concerned about, um, especially late in the season and you're on the road. Um, you know, it's, it's just the time to start getting results by any means necessary, and they, they have been doing a great job of getting these 1-0 results, these results when they haven't played their best this season. And I think we mentioned that uh, a week or two ago, why this team is at the top of the Western Conference this year as opposed to last year where some of these matches were slipping away with late draws when we're conceding a late goal. Um, this year, the team has shown a lot of mental toughness and gotten these results and limited the big chances that 
other teams had. And so, you know, kudos have to go to the players and the coaching staff for that. Um, really, like, can't say enough about just being able to finish these matches out. Yeah, and to do it in a disciplined manner as well. Uh, we're not the most disciplined teams in terms of foul conceded. We're actually toward the top um, in, in, in fouls. Uh, um, in fouls for the year, we're toward the top, top half of, of the conference related to our yellow cards. Uh, we had only had one yellow card on the day yesterday, uh, and that was one that was at, at seemed like it was asked for by somebody on Twitter. They said uh, somebody was was complaining that Awako needed to be talking a little bit more to the ref. Awako uh, did apparently say something to the ref that he took uh, took umbrage to. Uh, to pick himself up a, a yellow card in the 89th minute, but that could have been also some gamesmanship there with with some delay and and or not uh, with some delay. So um, yeah, it's, it's kind of kind of interesting how how the game played out, uh, discipline related. So uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah, good good to see you know no one pick up. I mean, yeah, Waco's card was maybe. A, it was probably a bit of, you know, eating the time and, you know, not good to see him get an unnecessary card, but good to not see, you know, James Musa, Kavon Lambert, any of our defenders who uh, always seem to rack up a yellow, not get one and come out of the match unscathed. So that was Especially that's another... one where folks were sliding all over the place with a wet turf like that. Yeah. There, there really was a lot of opportunity for, you know, sort of studs up sliding and, and whatnot. And, and we played a disciplined match, really did. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, a lot of credit has to be given for that. Um, let's go to some team news. Uh, there wasn't too much team news to speak of. There were really just two big things. Um, the first one, Solomon Asante was going for USL Player of the Month in August, and the, the results were announced on Thursday. He actually tied with Cameron Lancaster of Louisville City um, in the fan voting with 30% each. But, um, you know, the technical voting and the media vote did not go Solomon's way. Uh, he only got 8% of the media vote and none of the technical vote. Um, those make up smaller percentages. The fan vote makes up 50% of the total. But when it was all put together, Cameron Lancaster won in a landslide. And, you know, granted, Cameron Lancaster scored eight goals for Louisville City. So it's not that he wasn't deserving it just seems kind of odd that the other 50%, the media and the technical, don't even seem to notice that Asante's there because they give him, you know, a token vote or two. Like, And I think Jeff Went might have been one of those votes in the media and then no one with the technical vote. You know, isn't that... It just seems kind of frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's a really tough call. Uh, here you have a guy who's leading the Golden Boot race. Uh, he's got 19 goals on the year. Uh, he's got a couple players behind him in uh, Chris Cortez, uh, Daniel Rios from North Carolina, Thomas Inavoldson from OC. Um, but eight goals in the month of August, really, really strong play by Cameron Lancaster. Uh, and, you know, look, Asante... Uh, I, I like it when people th look at Asante and don't think too much. You know, he's a diminutive guy. He's only what five two, maybe five three, depending on what media guy that you're 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 reading. Um, and when they underestimate 
somebody like Solomon Asante, he, he makes them pay. So let's leave a chip on, on Solomon's shoulder and, and see where he's able to take the team and see where our captain can lead us. Uh, I like that chip being, being on that, that shoulder a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, as, lo as long as it works out well in the end, he's going to keep playing his game. So, kind of fun to see. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think Asante is a player that gets too wrapped up in individual awards. I think for him, it's more of the team and the collective reward and the goal that they're working towards. You know, I think we see that out of him. He doesn't. You know, if he has a great opportunity on goal, yeah, he's going to take the shot, but he also has no problem in laying off a pass for uh, assisting and setting up his teammates. So it's just, uh, you know, sucks that he wasn't rewarded, but, I mean, it, I think that the Phoenix Rising fans and many other fans still recognize uh, the effort that he's putting in. And the other big uh, piece of team news, actually – wasn't officially announced by Phoenix Rising, but Aaron, I think you had mentioned it. Um, Joshua Perez, the guy that we announced uh, to have gotten on loan, um, it seems like he's back with LAFC. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, uh, he looks like they called him back. Um, we were talking about it over the past couple of weeks in the, the MLS roster freeze. Um, it looks like looks as though Perez is back with LAFC. There are some kind of particular rules about how playoffs and uh, USL rosters work. Uh, Perez would have to appear in five rising matches to be playoff eligible. Um, I'm not sure that they thought that that was going to happen. Uh, so maybe they, they thought that it was better for him to train, train with his club instead of training with uh, the USL squad. Uh, I'm not sure if LAFC actually saw a need for him. Uh, so they wanted to have them have him on their final playoff squad. Uh, not not exactly sure, but um, he he really didn't have a chance to make an impact here, really at all. Not not at least not in the way that Blackman and Abdul Salam have, um, and even Shaft Brewer ha has gotten some playing time. So um, he's a great young talent. I hope that we're able to maintain a relationship with LAFC. Uh, to be able to have these high-quality loanies come out and play. Um, and maybe we'll see Perez back here in Phoenix in, uh, um, in January, February, March, something like that, and, and uh, uh, training back with the team. But I, I wouldn't think that he's coming back. Yeah, it, I mean, Mark Murray also mentioned that uh, September 15th roster deadline, and... It would make a lot of sense that LAFC does want him for the rest of the season if they called him up on Thursday. Um, you know, if, if they want him, if they need him um, up top, then really we can't take him back after that September 15th deadline. That's a freeze. Um, and then another point that you made off air is said that, that players on loan have to have at least five appearances to play in the postseason. And to this point, he only had one appearance, uh, one substitute appearance for us on the season. So he wouldn't have been, you know, unless unless they put him in a bunch late in the season, he wouldn't have even played in the postseason for us um, if LAFC didn't want him. So 
You know, that one makes me wonder if LAFC just wanted to see him in a match or two or just get some training or something. It, it's a bit of a head-scratcher, but... Yeah, and he showed up so much later than the other guys did, too, so... I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting thing. The whole concept of being able to loan players is just a, a fascinating fascinating topic. Um, and it, it's one of those things that makes uh, that Division one makes USL as a Division two. Um, you know, we're only USL's only the second year as a Division two uh, Division two sanctioned league. So it, it really solidifies that relationship between MLS on Division one and USL on Division two. Two totally separate organizations but both working to improve the quality of play in the United States. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of weird, and it's a bummer to see Perez go, but, um, I mean, we didn't see him feature much. and But, I mean, maybe we see him come back. Um, for me, I think that the three players that we have on loan right now were, uh, were great business by Phoenix, and I'd love to see them continue here in the desert because they've all come in and made a... Huge impacts. Shaft Brewer, maybe not so much, but um, I think the best is yet to come for him. I think we'll see a lot more from him as we see him uh, get a little bit more time here coming up. Well, in that case, let's go to USL scores and standings. Uh, we had some interesting matches in the USL this week. Um, probably the biggest one would be Stowe Park versus St. Louis, a match that ended 4-3. to three in favor of St. Louis on the road. Um, Stowe Park with an early goal, but then St. Louis just poured it on after that. Four different goal scorers uh, give them a 4-1 lead, and then late goals from Tyler Blackwood and Ethan Vanacore-Decker weren't enough to bring Stowe Park back into it. Big win for St. Louis. Um, puts them in the top eight again, and Stowe Park, I think, is still in the top eight. So the real loser from that is uh, San Antonio because later in the day, San Antonio drops a 2-1 match against Tulsa. And Aaron, you had a better look at this match. How did San Antonio look in this loss? You know, it's really interesting because I, I think I have stuck in my head uh, San Antonio of 2017. Um, as, as I've been able to contribute to uh, some blog posts for Red Black 90, the blog that covers San Antonio, very similar to how Firebird Soccer covers Phoenix Rising, uh, they're really down on their team over there. Uh, just, you know, kind of lethargic play, disorganized, disjointed uh, play. Diego Restrepo, who was kind of a darling goalkeep goalkeeper of the 2017, has not maintained his form. Uh, actually, uh, um, I don't think, let me see, he didn't play yesterday. Um, so... San Antonio was was pretty clotting, pretty uninspired, uh, and they're fighting for for a playoff spot right now. Right now they're sitting at nine. Um, Reno has a game in hand on them, but they also have a game in hand on St. Louis and Swope Park. It's all really tight with these these uh, four teams that all have between forty three and forty six points. So it's really it was really odd to see them come out so uninspired. And I, I guess I just think more of them maybe than they are at this point. I don't, I don't know. Uh, to lose to Tulsa, who's 17th, I mean, they're last place in the conference. They have nothing going on down there except their kits. 
The kits they wore yesterday are really cool. I like their kits. That's about the only good thing that's going on in Tulsa right now is their clothing. I mean, it, so it's really odd to see them come out, just play really uninspired ball with low energy, and just watch, watch them get manhandled by a team that, that has 20 points on the season and, and is I mean, very that likely was... to finish 20 with only 20 points on the season. That was Tulsa's third win of the season yesterday. Their third <laughs> win of the season. That's crazy. I yeah, mean, and, no. and the, the, the most bizarre thing about it is San Antonio goes up in this match 1-0. How in the world can you give up a 1-0 match against a team that's at the very bottom of the conference? I mean, it's it's... San Antonio is the most bizarre team in this conference because one week they can go out there, they can beat Real and Phoenix Rising, they can look amazing, they can get their fans all inspired, go on the road and beat Real Monarchs, and then the next week they drop one to Tulsa. Like, what is going on? I, I just, this team is baffling. I, I don't want them in the playoffs because on any given night they can beat anyone, but it's so bizarre. It is so bizarre. And really, the, if I had to choose one team to not make it, it's starting to look like San Antonio now because you look at the bottom of the Western Conference, you see them on 43 points. Reno has 45 with a match in hand. St. Louis has uh, St. Louis and Swope both have 46 points with 30 matches played. So if San Antonio wins their next match, then they're on, they're on level points with those teams. But... San Antonio has tough matches, and that was supposed to be their easiest one of the season, other than maybe like Sounders 2 or Vegas. But, you know, San Antonio still has to go away to Swope on Wednesday. They still have to go away to St. Louis next Saturday. They could be the team that's on the outside looking in. And it's just crazy because you see them play like they did against us last weekend, and you'd think they have to be a contender, but it's starting to not look that way yeah we just we just haven't seen the consistency that we saw out of them last season you know last season they were they were a very tough team defensively Diego Restrepo was you know having one of the best seasons of his career probably and um this year I mean yeah they just seem to be a roller coaster of results it's you know it's up it's up two weeks and down one so um it does not bode well for them in their playoff hunt right now, unfortunately, especially losing to a team that you would expect to pick up three points. That That is Tulsa. So, um, I mean, yeah, really tough for San Antonio. You feel for them because I think coming into this season, their fans and people around the team probably had pretty high expectations, even though they, uh, they did lose Billy Forbes. I think that they still had, you know, the players. I mean, they had a solid team against Phoenix, uh, two weeks ago so i think that for them not to be able to be higher in the standings it's uh got to be disappointing it's just a very odd run of form for both of these teams that we're talking about here um swell park uh, again with something to play for against st louis both both st louis and swell park going into that game had the opportunity for like the same max points so they're very evenly matched and, and Swope Park has had a really great run of form lately. Uh, Swope Park, I think, came into that game with four straight wins um, and, and had a great 
really great run of form. Uh, San Antonio showing uh, showing some decent form over the past six or seven matches. Um, and now all three of those are stuck at the same max points. But I believe that San Antonio is going to play, or is going to still has um, Swope and Saint, maybe and St. Louis on their schedule. So, yeah, those are their next. Those are their next two away matches. They have an easier end of season run at home. Yeah. So, but so those uh, those matches between those three three teams, St. Louis, Swope, and San Antonio, that's going to decide who who en- ends up where on on what side of the what side of the dividing line for playoff teams and non-playoff teams. Um, I don't think you know as we're talking about some standings and talking about who's going to have have a run where Reno's in, you know, they're, they're, uh, first of all, they have two games in hand on most teams and they're having a, just a really good run of form lately. I, I think Reno, um, is pretty much in. So the only, oh, we're really only talking about where folks are going to land in the final standings and which of San Antonio, Swope, or St. Louis are going to be sitting at home watching. I'm like trying to think if there's any other team that could, uh, you know, end up on the outside looking in at this point, and it doesn't seem that way because, I mean, Reno only is at 45 points, but you're right, they have fewer matches played, um, and they have they have some very winnable matches coming up. Their next three are all home matches against Las Vegas, RGV, and Tulsa, so that should put them in a really good position right there. there there's nine points, easy. Well, I mean, let's say seven. You'd think. You'd think. You'd you'd think like seven easy. Sometimes you can mess up one of those, but um, that Las Vegas game could be could end up a draw. I kind of could see that. Just a a wild game. (laughs) Well, and speaking of Reno, they had a tricky match against Los Dos, uh, a team that's not too high on the standings, but they've been playing a lot better lately, and. You know, this match could have been a nil-nil frustrating draw for them if not for an absolute banger of a goal from Eric Calvillo in the 37th minute. Um, He teed off a shot from further than 30 yards out and just rifled it into the left left side netting of the goal. Uh, Keeper had no chance, and that was all Reno needed to get that one nil over Los Dos. But you guys got to check this goal out because this is... Definitely the USL goal of the week, um, and and a crucial one at that. Yeah, it's it's. Did it's you guys? Gonna be, it's going to be really interesting. I, I'm very interested to see how um, Orange County plays uh, plays out the rest of the season, and finally, Real Monarchs seems to be coming to, uh, you know, coming down to earth. Um, God, I, I was looking it up yesterday. I'll have to pull it up here, but um, I, I, we talked about it last time I was on. I wasn't on last week, but we talked about it two weeks ago that I was really surprised at how well they held it together given all the controversy with Mark Briggs as their head coach and everything that happened there. Well, now without, now that that's all settled, even though Briggs wasn't around for a long time before that, uh, they're having a really terrible run of play here. Um, with a in, in their past five, they have a win, three straight losses, and a draw. 
And that's just unlike the real monarchs that we're used to seeing, who a month ago I was saying there's no way that anybody's going to catch them. They're going to be first place. They're playing so well. They play in such a disciplined system. Uh, they have such a, a strong organization behind them. There was no way that we were going to catch them. And now here we have them dropping three of the last four with a draw being the other result and Phoenix Rising sitting on top of them. So I guess, uh, you know, it's good to be king. Real. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I picked that up too. That was clever. That was a good one. <laughs> Yeah, they really How long were you sitting on that one? Uh, that just came, it just came to me just a second ago. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you for showering us with your wisdom. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I'll go through the whole standings right now, but those are the big takeaways from this week in the Western Conference. Uh, from top to bottom, we have, give me one second. Well, at the very top is us. We have 56 points from 29 matches played. Real Monarchs has 29 point, or uh, 54 points, 29 matches played. Orange County, 54 points, 29 matches played. They lose the tiebreaker to Monarchs right now because Monarchs has one more win. And the tiebreaker in USL is wins, not goal difference, which annoys me a lot. Don't get me started. It really annoys me a lot. If you want to, if, if you'd like to learn more about goal differential versus wins, please check the check Dom, Dom's Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, because it's gonna probably end up deciding who makes the playoffs and who doesn't. You're probably gonna see Swope Park like right now. Swope Park is ahead of St. Louis in the standings, even though St. Louis has a plus five goal differential. Swope Park has minus five, and St. Louis just beat them. Because of gold, because of wins. Okay, whatever. Ran over. Uh, in fourth place, we have Sac Republic with 49 points from 28 matches played. Timbers 2 has 48 points from 29 matches played. They've been in great form lately, um, moving up the standings. Then you get down to that bottom of the Western Conference that gets so fascinating. Um, Swope and St. Louis both on 46 points from 30 matches played. Soap has one extra win. Reno in eighth place right now, 45 points from 28 matches played. San Antonio outside the top eight, 43 points from 29 matches played. Then you look at the other teams. OKC Energy just hanging on by a thread right now. They did beat Los Dos in the midweek. They're at 38 points with 30 matches played. And then you look at the teams with no shot. Colorado Springs, 35 points. Fresno, 35 points. Los Dos, 33, RGV, 28, Lights, 27, and then Sounders and Tulsa at the bottom, each with 20 points. And uh, Tulsa is last place with wins and goal differential. Goal differential. So that is our full Western Conference standings. Well, if that's it for USL news, um, which I th I believe that that's everything that we were planning on covering. You know, um, one thing I one thing I didn't mention earlier, and it is kind of team news related. I don't know if you guys saw, but Sam Dore said something about a one dollar playoff beer night. Dollar beer night magic, man! I tell you. Well, I, I mean, mean, yeah, you can't 
argue with the uh, the statistics on Dollar Beer Night are in our favor, and I think there's no better way to uh, ensure a sellout crowd as well. I think you know playoffs will be enough, but I mean it's just gonna intensify the atmosphere, and um, I think it'll it'll be something that they'll definitely be interested in looking into. Well, hello. You play to win the game, you know. You got to well, yeah. do the uh, $1 beers if that means we're going to win. So, <laughs> Yeah, but don't go for it with on fourth and two in the second quarter. Take the points. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm still, I'm, I'm still hurting from ASU's loss. Uh, so other things around town, uh, your Firebird soccer calendar on Wednesday, the Wednesday, September 20th, GCU men host Akron over at Grand Canyon University. Uh, if you have a chance to go join the Havocs over there, it's going to be a, another fantastic opportunity to watch um, a nationally, uh, a really nat- well nationally recognized program. Akron coming into the season up up until uh, last week was nationally ranked. Unfortunately, they've had a, a little bit of a rough run of play, um, as has GCU. So GCU, I think last time we really chatted about them, uh, they had beaten number 20 Creighton. Uh, they unfortunately had a lousy road trip uh, against Evans, the Evansville uh, Aces in Indiana and then Edwardsville, SIU Edwardsville, uh, that both resulted in 0-1 losses. Uh, so that puts GCU at 3-2 and two on the year. Uh, they did just, uh, and then they just uh, also beat Loyola Marymount. So that puts GCU at 3-2 and two on the year as they're going to be uh, playing at Oral Roberts this Monday. You can catch that on a stream, maybe. I don't see a stream listed here. Uh, but definitely, if you have a chance, on Thursday, September 20th, go see GCU play Akron. In other local soccer, GCU women are currently at 2-7, and seven, and they uh, have nothing on the schedule for this upcoming week. And ASU women are 4-2 and two overall. Uh, with a recent win off of a travel trip up to Northern Arizona University, that was Friday night, where they beat NAU one to nothing in their in-state against their in-state rivals. Uh, coming up toward the end of the month uh, is the ASU women's home opener on September 27th. They'll be playing Colorado. Uh, so uh, after the GCU men's game, that's your next opportunity to see some live soccer uh, on the 27th of September. That's it for your Firebird soccer calendar. At this point, do you guys want to do supporter section questions, or was there anything else we should hit first? Uh, no, I think supporter section. We have a couple All questions right. this week. Uh, I know we have at least one. Let me see about some more. Um, the first one was, I mean, something that we already talked about a little bit earlier today. Um, and this, this comes from uh, Pat Moses at Goalie Man Pat. Um, more disappointing this season, Forbes or Freighter? That's a tough one. Uh, I don't think Freighter's had enough uh, playing time to be disappointing. Uh, I think when he's come in, he, he's uh, had a contribution. Um, I think the that the... Um, the bar was set very high for Billy Forbes as he was coming in. Uh, I think that there was a lot of expectation in a very crowded front line. Uh, 
I got to give the edge to Forbes as being a little bit more of a disappointment for for the season. I I have to agree with you, Aaron. I was actually just looking at the uh, at the statistics. If you want to get analytical, and I know you do, um, so. Actually, both Billy Forbes and Kavon Frader have both taken part in 17 matches this season. Billy Forbes has had 10 starts. Kavon Frader has had five. In the minutes played, Billy Forbes has played like 927 minutes. Kavon Frader has played 573. And Kavon Frader has scored three goals. Billy Forbes has scored two. So in half the time ascent almost 40% of the time Kavon Frader scored one more goal than Billy Forbes has and for a player that like you said had very high expectations coming into this season a huge signing from San Antonio when we signed him he really has not lived up to the hype and it's been very unfortunate and we saw it last night you know his touch let him down and at this point in the season you expect a crisp clean finish and not a uh, collection by the goalkeeper in that situation Yeah, it's a uh, it's a fair question. Um, I don't like to throw people under the bus, uh, but it, at, at this point, the sample size is pretty large, um, so you can you can uh, acknowledge that people are a disappointment. I mean, last season we well, jumped well, let, on Omar Bravo. Say, wait, wait, wait. Let's not say a full disappointment. You know, you only have a choice of one or two, right? You say, who's better looking, Dom Kearns or Aaron Blau? <laughs> I mean, neither is good looking. Let's face it; neither of us are very good looking men. But Aaron's gonna come out on top. <laughs> the question was, who was more disappointing? Not who has been a disappointment. So yes, I, yes. it's I, we're not saying Billy is a disappointment. I mean, he brings a great leadership to this team. I think, and his speed is you know invaluable. But we haven't seen the great moments from him that I think we were expecting. Yeah, here's another interesting statistic for both of them, actually. Um, in passes per 90 minutes played, both of them are, are essentially at the bottom of the list. The only other player that's in between them is Schaff Brewer. Um, so Kevon with 19 passes per 90, Billy Forbes with 15 and a half passes per 90. Um, so th that's an interesting statistic. Look, when you're playing up front, you're not supposed to pass a lot, but passing does lead to assists. Passing does lead to goals, um, and uh, both of those, both of the players are at the bottom of the list for the team. Well, and that's what's actually so bizarre is that, you know, at least with Billy Forbes, I thought of him as like a nice wing player who would actually set up chances for other players too. I would expect him to have a lot more passes per ninety than that, um, and so I guess who has been more disappointing. I guess I will go with Billy Forbes just because he was so impressive last year with San Antonio. Um, and because of that, I think all of us had such high expectations for him. I was, I mean, there was a real debate at the start of this season whether Billy Forbes was the best offseason signing for us, him or Solomon Asante. That was a real debate back at the start of the season. Um, you know, not much of a debate now, but. Uh, you know, I don't. I know Kavon Freider was an exciting young talent, but I don't think that there was that much expectation on his shoulders. And so for me, I guess Billy Forbes. Um, you know, you can't predict injuries either, but just kind of frustrating all around. Yeah, 
but the season's not over. And, I mean, we've still seen good things from him as of late, and I think there's uh, there's still plenty of goals for him to go get in the rest of the games that we have. So, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing great things from both of them. I think that they both contribute a lot. And, um, I mean, we need to see more out of the attack than just Chris Cortez, and I think those two guys stepping up could be uh, could be huge for Phoenix. For sure. Um, it looks like that's actually our only supporter section question so far. So I don't know if you guys had any any supporter section questions you wanted to address. No, I got nothing. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a great time to... Uh, I think a lot of our fans are probably still recovering from their celebrations last night. Um, you know, celebrating us taking the top spot uh i mean it's it's just a great time but there's still a lot of work to be done i mean finishing being uh in first place with five games left in the season you know it's great spot to be but if we don't if we don't put in the effort uh we won't stay here so we just need to uh to keep working hard every single week and keep bringing the effort i think uh next week is going to be a, more of a difficult match. Hopefully, the weather isn't as much of a factor. But I think, um, even though Colorado Springs is basically out of the playoff picture, there's still a team that's going to be difficult to play against. And I mean, they just recently beat Real Monarchs, so um, they definitely have the ability to go out there and be a giant killer. So we need to uh, to be on the lookout for that and get another early goal. I think that that's been the recipe for success, and we need to uh, continue to push that. No disagreement for me. Uh, you yeah, know, for it's, sure. It's really just going to be a, a push, push, push sort of situation where, um, where these veteran players are going to have to keep their heads up, keep rolling forward, keep giving it all in every training session. And our job is going to be to cheer them on um, and uh, to be loud and be supportive in any way that we can uh, so that they – they know they're not just playing for them, they're playing for us too, and, and we appreciate the work that they're doing. Yeah, one thing I did want to mention before we get to uh, you know, closing thoughts, there was a story in AZ Central earlier this week, like two days ago, um, and it was, on, it was on the Phoenix Rising Reddit page too, uh, just Don Garber talking about expansion. He was sitting down with someone from Nashville, of course, um, you know, regardless of your feelings about Nashville, the MLS, uh, he was over there and he talked about the next round of teams. He mentioned Detroit, San Diego, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Charlotte and Las Vegas before finally mentioning the name Phoenix. He's been known to do this kind of stuff. Do you read into this at all? Or no, no I mean, you can't. No. But then he's, why is he but like what does he just like being a dick? I think it's that. I think I think they're trying to keep those other markets motivated. I love that you say that, Dominic. Um but I mean he can't he can't just go out and blatantly say that. I mean, he's got to play his cards close to the vest. He can't be too revealing and show favoritism. He's got to give all these cities equal opportunity. But um he, it does is, it. he doesn't, though. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. No, but he, he tries to put on this front and this image. Like, you know, 
that, no, that MLS is receptive to all these cities and everyone's going to get a market. Everyone's going to get a team. And we all know that's not going to happen. And, and I mean, you can look into it if you want, but I mean, why would MLS overlook Phoenix? If you look at it just from a numbers and a, a viewership perspective, this is a because huge market. Some people are petty. But we're putting I out the get it. The That's literally the now. only thing I can think of. Like he's talking yeah. about, okay, Detroit. I get San Diego. I can kind of get. He's talking about Charlotte, Las Vegas, and St. Louis. Those places are dead. Yeah, and, and and if if MLS were to put a team there, there will not be long term success. I think we could all agree to that because those markets would just struggle to to fill the seats. And I mean, we know what happens to MLS clubs when they're. I don't know about do that. that. I don't know about that. I think there are other markets that could be good. But if you look at the totality of the bid, I think Phoenix brings more to the table. And so I don't understand why he's bringing up these places that don't even have a chance. Because it just feels like a slap in the face. No, I'll, I mean, I'll, once I'll, or twice, fully once, shame on you. Fully twice, can't put the blame on you. Like, it, it, this is just ridiculous. He says this stuff all the time. What it, what it comes down to, he, he's taking a, a page out of the uh, NFL Super Bowl bidding process playbook where everything's on the table, he knows what he wants, but if he can get just a little more of a concession out of these guys or just a little more effort out of those guys or just a little more money out of that city or just a little bigger stadium, whatever it is, he's trying to, he's keeping the hopes alive in the same way that that cute girl did when you were 16 years old and you had no chance in hell. But you thought you had a chance. <laughs> because she texted you every once in a while. And that's, that's essentially what's going on here. Is, is you know, he's, what, he's gonna, what he's looking at is he goes, Hey guys, uh, hey Phoenix, uh, uh, those guys in San Diego over there, man, they were willing to do this for me. Uh, what do you think about that? You think you're willing to do that too? So it, it's all just this really, really very high schoolish game of who's going to kiss my tuchus more. Tuchus, <laughs> it's an Italian word. Look it up. Okay, who's going to kiss my tuchus more? And, uh, you know, it's like we're all sitting here and we're all just in this suspense. And every other question is from a friend, you know, oh, Aaron, you're really into rising. Uh, what... Uh, are we going to get MLS? Oh, Aaron, I heard you went to this the the Rising match. Are we going to get the MLS? Are we going to get the MLS? It, it, it's almost as annoying as when is Didier Drogba going to play again? <laughs> and I'm go I'm saying I don't care if we we have MLS or not. I like our team. I like I like our culture. I like what we're building here. I like our front office. Uh, we get it or not, we're going to support. Uh, but. We need to be done with this this suspense, so that the real fans can know who the real fans are, and not just the folks who are hanging on uh, because maybe you know Division One is so much better than what we have. It's not, in my opinion, but it's okay. Yeah, no, you bring up a great point. I think uh, he he probably does have the view that maybe the grass is greener, and he can get. Yeah, maybe he can get this from Detroit or get yeah a little bit more of a concession. Um, but I, it it does it sucks as a rising fan because yeah we're kept in this suspense and we seem like uh, afterthought 
almost when you know we all know we're far from it. I mean, we're we're first placed in the West right now. So I mean, that's uh, that speaks for it. And I agree with you, Aaron. I think I'm one of those fans that, regardless, Division Two, Division Three, or Division One. I mean, I'll support this team no matter what. So um, it's you know it's unfortunate that Phoenix has to go through this type of process. But uh, I mean, I'm I'm just hopeful that it doesn't take as long as inter miami cf did because if we had to go through a debacle like that i would uh i would be much much more impatient <laughs> so, you still can't you still can't convince me that they're they're actually going to have a team well we'll, we'll see when they have a stadium i still don't think it's going to happen but uh i'll just give you one other aside you know fc cincinnati is slated to move move up in 2019 like 10 years before inter miami ever will um and they gave nashville uh, so Dom is exactly right. They really put the screws to all of those poten- those Eastern co- uh, potential Eastern Conference entrants because they put two teams that are essentially Eastern Conference teams. Now they really have to go West Coast. Um, they really have to be basically saying, look, it's going to be Sacramento and Phoenix. Or uh, that's who I think it's going to be. Everybody else is, out, uh, is off of my mind at this point. I don't. I don't, so. I don't see Sacramento. I. They've been. They've been blue balled longer than we have. Right. If anything, yeah. They might not get it at all. Yeah. No, I. Th- I think we may have taken that spot of Sacramento's bid. Um. I mean, just being a larger market itself and having having the better numbers that Phoenix does. But um. Yeah. No, I agree with you, Aaron. And I think. One thing that I think factored into filling in the Eastern Conference was Miami not coming into the MLS as they had been planned to. You know, they've been talked about so long as there being this Miami team, and they had the spots open for them. But then when it was realized that we can't even get a stadium for this team, you know, let alone name the team just up until a month ago. So um, I think that that's why Nashville and Cincinnati were chosen maybe so quickly in Nashville, especially to fill in those spots in the Eastern Conference. And now the MLS has to go West because if they keep adding to the East, it's just going to throw off the numbers of the conference East versus West. And we all know that uh, MLS does not want that. Yeah. I mean, they could move Chicago. I don't know. I don't know what they would do. Move Chicago to the Western Conference. I don't know how they would how they would bounce that appropriately. It doesn't make doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of the map that they're trying to fill in. Yeah. Well, in any case, let's uh, let's go to closing thoughts because I'm sure we'll have more feelings on the whole MLS situation before it's all said and done. Uh, I'll start I'll start first with final thoughts this week. Um, my final thought is, it just feels good to be the at the top. You know, last season, we were striving for that. This season, we've been even closer striving for that. But now it's finally here. We have finally reached the mountaintop. And uh, it's, I mean, granted, by the time you guys are listening to this, it's possible OC will be past us. I personally don't think that's going to be the case. I think Fresno will at least get a draw. Um, But regardless, it's a good feeling. Everyone has worked so hard to get to this point. Um and we are just in such a good spot. I really think we can do this. Finish with the top seed. Enjoy these moments because these really are things that this franchise has never experienced before. And really, like, no local team in Arizona 
has experienced this kind of, you know, like at a professional level has experienced this kind of success before. So really like savor it. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dominic. I mean, it's, and that's, it's kind of puzzling how Phoenix Rising doesn't seem to be getting more love. I mean, I think that they'll they'll definitely, you know, get more uh, attention now that we are in first place and people are going to say, hey, this team, you know, they're making some noise. They're, you know, not only are we filling the stadium and do we have these big names, but we're getting the results that are backing that up and, you know, having playoff matches here in Phoenix, which is going to be a huge deal. I mean, how... How often does a Phoenix team, you know, maybe make playoffs but not even get a home playoff match or, you know, for the Arizona Cardinals not get a home playoff game. So to, to be able to get a, a home game is going to be a really big deal. And I think um, I think that it's just a great time. I mean, like you said, to to if you follow this team, you know, short term, then you're, you're having a great time following a successful team. But if you follow this Phoenix Rising team from the long term through multiple ownership groups and uh, name changes i mean this is this is what arizona professional soccer fan has always dreamed of and uh to finally see it coming to fruition is great and i think that you know there's there's still a lot of work to be done and i think that you know we can we can prove to mls that we deserve you know to be division one just by uh you know the results on the field and the facilities that we we keep so um I think that, you know, the ownership group has done everything to allow us to succeed. And now the coaching staff has done that as well. So I think that it's just a great time and we need to uh, to enjoy it. But also, you know, look forward and just keep up everything that's been uh, been being put into this team because it's obviously sending us in the right direction. So, uh, you know, we found the recipe for success. Now we just need to replicate it. Yeah, so I, I believe it was Shane Dale, uh, uh, the sportscaster from ABC15, who, who posted uh, something to the extent of uh, where he was talking about the big four, uh, the big four sports in Arizona, Cardinals, Coyotes, Diamondbacks, and the Suns. Um, and uh, I believe one of our, one of our buddies uh, commented on it about championships. And the reality is, is that in terms of big four sports, this city has seen one championship that I can I can remember: the Diamondbacks in two thousand one. That's it. But our minor franchises, the Rattlers, um, the Mercury, have done amazing things and found amazing fan support within their specific communities. And I think that. The Rattlers, the Mercury, the Rising, um, as non-Big Four sports go, really help to, to up the uh, the atmosphere here in, in Phoenix. So love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, that's about it for the Rising uh, Rising is one podcast. Dom has to take off. Um, so this is Aaron Blau for Dom Kearns. Kyle Mackey, and the Rising is One podcast. And here we are, Rising is One. See you next week, guys. See ya.
And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.